This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. What is it inside a guy like you that can survive a crash that makes you want to go back out there and do that again? If anything, after that big crash, I felt really safe. The first victory in Daytona 500, are you kidding me? Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest shocked the world with his first ever NASCAR win, 2021 Daytona 500 winner, Michael McDowell. Presented by GEICO. Are you kidding me? I can't believe this. Rejoice today's guest after being the 100-to-1 long shot from Glendale, Arizona, and he was declared the winner of the 63rd Daytona 500 after enduring 358 starts over 14 seasons without a checkered flag. He led the race for only one lap, but that was obviously the one that counted. And it is my pleasure to welcome this year's Daytona 500 champion, Michael McDowell, to Game Time. Michael, welcome, and boy, what a feeling that must have been for you. Yeah, it, uh, it was really awesome. And uh, what you said in the beginning is exactly how I feel. Are you kidding me? You know, <laughs> I still wake up and, and ask myself that. Are you kidding me? Because, you know, just an incredible opportunity to, you know, to be one of 40 in, in a great sport of NASCAR. To get my first win and have it be the Daytona 500, it doesn't get any bigger than that. So I, I still think, are you kidding me? Yeah, you know, it's like winning the Super Bowl because it is your Super Bowl for NASCAR. But, you know, how does it feel to have your name etched alongside of the names of, I don't know, Richard Petty, Dale Earnhardt, Michael Waltrip, and there it is, Michael McDowell, right next to them <laughs> as a champion of the Daytona 500. Yeah, it's, it is amazing. Um, it's humbling, too, because you just think about those greats and, you know, you think about the Yarbrough's and the Pearson's and the Petty's and Earnhardt's and, you know, to be even in the same sentence, uh, let alone on the same trophy is is uh, humbling and it's unbelievable. And, um, you know, I love to tell you that, man, I knew this was going to happen and I always thought I would, but it's not the case. It truly isn't. I mean, it, it really is a dream come true. And, Never thought, you know, that that would be where I'd get my first win and, and you know, on the biggest stage at the biggest race. You know, a five-hour rain delay, not fun, I'm sure, for you guys, the drivers. And uh, there was a big accident right before the rain delay, so the number of the drivers were out of the race. I'm just wondering, what was that phone call like home that early in the morning, I should say? It was <laughs> after midnight, uh, telling your wife and your family that I'm, I'm sure that they stayed up and watched. Come on, tell yeah. me they stayed up and watched the whole thing. Well, my, my wife did. And, um, you know, as it got close to the end, she, she woke my kids up and, you know, it's, it was, it was an early morning. Um, you know, and to me, it's like that part calling them when I was in victory lane was really tough because I'd love for them to be there. 
Um, but also on the other side, like if my family is there, I don't think I could have kept it together. I wouldn't have been able to do an interview. I'd have just been <laughs> emotional, you know, just, you know, especially for my wife, my wife and I've been together since we were 15. And so she's been with me through the whole journey, the, the ups and downs, and there was definitely more downs than ups. And, and she's been a big part of my career and, and, you know, helping you know me to live out this dream. I'm sure you saw Tom Brady throw the Lombardi trophy from one boat to another in the midst of their boat parade. Did you <laughs> not see that? Yeah, I did see that clip, man. You're not throwing this trophy. I mean, um, one is I'd never throw it. Two is I don't think I'm strong enough to throw it. It's about 40 or 50 pounds. So it's not something you can chunk around. And of course, we're talking about the Harley J. Earl trophy that uh, the winner receives. You also get a ring just like we would get a Super Bowl ring if we won the Super Bowl in our sport of football. So uh, do you have your ring and are you ever going to take it off? You know, I do take it off. I don't. I don't want to break that thing. I, I. I have it on the case, sitting on. You know, on the mantle. You know, for me, that's. It's very special, right? It's historic in our sport. It's not like we get rings for all the races, and um, like you said, it's. It's our Super Bowl, and um, so you know, to have a, a championship, you know, ring and watch in the Harlow J. Earl Trophy, um, you know, definitely it's a part of history. It's not just another race. Welcome back to Game Time, everyone, as we continue with Michael McDowell. Now, until now, he was perhaps best known for surviving the spectacular 2008 crash on the Texas Motor Speedway, completely unscathed. Then in the early minutes of Monday morning, February 15, 2021, McDowell survived a smaller wreck to emerge with his first victory at the Daytona 500. What is it inside a guy like you that can survive a crash like the one that you did at the Texas Motor Speedway that makes you want to get back in that car and go back out there and do that again? I've just never feared, you know, of getting hurt in the race car. And if anything, after that big crash, I felt really safe uh, because that crash was so violent and so bad. You know, one of the worst, you know, crashes NASCAR's ever recorded. And I was able to walk away. So yeah. I never had that fear after that because I felt like, man, if I can survive this, these cars are really safe. And, you know, I feel like, you, you know, you'll be fine. And and I think that, you know, too, like when you when you are in a professional sport, there's always that risk element. You know that it's there, but it doesn't seem to get into your mind space too much. You just do your job and and you don't think about it too much. And I'm not sure what that is that allows that to happen, because if I'm on a roller coaster with my kids, I'm freaking out. So it's not like I'm a super tough guy, um, but I've just never worried about, you know, getting hurt in a race car. You know, for 14 years, you, you didn't have a checkered flag and now you have one. I'm just wondering through those 14 years, the perseverance, trying to find an owner, trying to find somebody that believes in you. Was there ever a moment where you thought maybe I've come to the end and I can't really accomplish what I truly want to accomplish? Yeah, definitely. It's pretty natural for you to have moments of doubt, right? You know, at the same time, the flip side of that, I've been able to get out of those really quickly. And I feel like my mindset has always been like, just work hard, do what's right, treat people well, and, and you know, the next opportunity will come. I, I want you to explain to me exactly in a race, when you're out there on the course, and you're behind somebody. And I hear they're talking about pushing, pushing, pushing. What does pushing mean to a race car driver in the midst of going 185 miles an hour? Yeah, it's tricky. You gotta make sure that your bumpers are lined up. But what it actually means is my front bumper is pushing their back bumper. And, um, and, and you have to be perfectly straight and you have to get lined up. And 
there's a lot of things that can go wrong when you're doing it. And, but at, at Daytona, Talladega, those super speedways, you definitely have to have a pusher. You definitely have to have help. It's been a art form that, uh, that the drivers have gotten really good at over the last 10 years of, of how to make these runs and how to time them. At the end of the Daytona 500, you and the two car were lined up you were pushing and then all of a sudden that two car just moved ever so slightly and that push to me looked like it started the chain reaction which ultimately led to the crash that happened in front of you and then the yellow button gets pushed and you are declared the winner yeah definitely that's how how the you know chain of events went but there's a few little details in there that um you know that not not that it changed it because what happened happened but I got a big run and I did push the two and I was lined up really well. And the two was taking that momentum to make the pass on the 22. And when the 22 blocked the two's pass, Brad turned the wheel. And when he turned the wheel, that's what got him turned. You know, it's the last lap of the Daytona 500. So you're going to have all those scenarios happening. But my plan was to push the two and, and stay with him knowing that we had a big run. Um, I thought that the two and the 22 would get side by side. And when they did, I was just going to try to uh, slingshot by both of them. Um, I never thought that they were going to crash and I'd just drive right through the middle. That, that wasn't the plan. You know, obviously it's not what you want to see. You know, you never want to see cars in the wall and on fire, but um, that's how these races end. And it's how they've ended, you know, the last 20 years is, you know, this last lap of the Daytona 500, everybody's going forward and everybody has a shot. Nobody wants to get hurt. Nobody wants to get into an accident or blow a knee out on purpose. And certainly we all want to win. And I think that's exactly what uh, you exemplified uh, on Valentine's Day. All right. To paraphrase those old time commercials, this is not your father's NASCAR. In addition to the new Daytona 500 champion, another Michael is making headlines in the stock car racing world, and that would be the great Michael Jordan. So what is it like to have Michael Jordan as a team owner now in NASCAR and have Bubba Wallace his driver? Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's awesome having, you know, Michael Jordan a part of our sport. And it's authentic too, because he's always been a gearhead. Um, you know, he's had a motorcycle team. He's always been into racing and, and enjoyed, you know, motorsports in general. So it's something that just didn't come out of the blue, you know, where it's like, what's this guy doing? I mean, he's, he's been a, a motorsports guy for the last 20 years, you know? So, and I think he brings a level of, you know, intensity and, and he wants to win and, you know, him and Denny Hamlin both, you know, want to win and, and they have Bubba Wallace driving for them. And so I think that, you know, it's a, it's a cool, you know, opportunity, you know, for all those guys to have new ownerships um, and also give Bubba a great shot at winning races. You know, I think that the equipment he's been in hasn't given him opportunities to win races. So now it's his shot to, to kind of shine and show. Um, and obviously, you know, especially for us having diversity in our sport and having, you know, we have Brad Doherty as an owner as well. Now, you know, Michael Jordan, um, I think it, it, it brings us, you know, into a different conversation with a lot of different partners and, and hopefully we'll reach a lot younger demographic and keep our sport alive, you know, because it's important to keep fans excited about what we're doing and, and not just do the same old stuff that we've always done. Like you said, it's not, not your daddy's NASCAR anymore, but um, keeping the purest of the sport still alive too. You guys are going to dirt tracks now yeah, uh, and kind of going back to the roots of NASCAR. How excited are you about that? Well, it's not my background, so I'm not overly excited. I guess it's kind of two parts is, you know, it's going to be a challenge for me because I don't have a dirt background. 
but I also think it's cool. I think it's neat that we're going to But who to do does Vegas. have a dirt background? Uh, there's quite a few guys like a Kyle Larson and, you know, Christopher Bell. And there's a lot of guys that grew up racing on the dirt in particular. And so they're going to be tough to beat at those places. But um, I like the fact that we're mixing up the schedule. You know, we have new road courses. We have new venues that we're going to, Bristol Dirt. Um, and I do think that dirt should be a part of our, our sport because dirt in particular is a part of what made our sport. And it's what a lot of America is doing around the country is racing at their local short track and racing at their local dirt track. So I think it's important to keep those roots there and, and not be too big and only big be in big, huge stadiums. You know, I, I think it's kind of like taking an NFL game and going to your, your high school. And I mean, it would, that would be awesome. Right. And, and that's what it's like. It's like taking, you know, a big sport, bringing it to a dirt track and putting on a great event. You know, I actually love it, Michael. I think uh, the more that you have, the more uh, opportunities you have to race, whether it be on dirt, road tracks, anything else that gets more fans looking at your sport is a good thing. And I think it's great that Bubba Wallace now has Michael Jordan as an owner. I love the fact that Pitbull's an owner. I love the fact yeah. that Alvin Kamara loves NASCAR. So it is becoming more diverse as we see it unfold. And that's all good for NASCAR and it's all good for us fans. Back with Michael McDowell. If you look up patience or persistence in the dictionary, you're not going to find his picture, but he'd be a worthy illustration. As we mentioned, he waited 14 years for his first cup victory which came out of all places, the Daytona 500. And he and his wife, Jamie, waited almost as long to fulfill another goal, and that would be adopting children. Mm -hmm. So, Michael, uh, tell me about this story, because there's more to you than just race car. There's the stuff that you do off the, the course, and you and your wife had now gone through an adoption process that has taken years and years and years. Mm -hmm. How frustrating was that, and how fulfilling, finally, to be able to have an adoption? Yeah, it was, it was a tough journey, kind of like my career, you know, I, um, they do correlate, you know, my wife and I, after we had our first son in, in 2009, we, we just felt like God was calling us to, to adopt and we didn't know what that would look like, but we just started the process and started going through the paperwork and, and found an agency. So long story short, you know, we, we went through that process. It took about a year to get approved and, um, any money that's done it, you know, it's it's lengthy process, but we'd end up getting on a waiting list and then something would happen, you know, a, a country would shut down. Uh, we started actually in uh, in Ethiopia and it got shut down. And so they moved our, our file over to Honduras and we were in that program for two years and then it got shut down. And and normally it doesn't take that long. Normally, you know, a year or two and, and you're able to get matched and, and be able to go through the process. And so um, it just wasn't that simple for us. It, it was a, a longer journey. It took us, um, I think, six, six years actually wow. before we brought our son Lucas home. And, um, but I think that there's, there's, and I've never put this together because I didn't even know you were gonna ask or talk to me about this, is that there is a correlation of that process and uh, my career is that, you know, that process, we, it, even though it wasn't fun at times and we felt defeated, we knew that we were supposed to do it. And, and we knew that we were supposed to see it through. And even if it didn't look how we thought it was gonna look like and didn't go how we thought it was gonna go, we, we needed to see it through. And, and I feel the same in my career too, is that even though it wasn't going great and I was getting my teeth kicked in, I knew that I needed to see it through that one day there would be an opportunity. And 
Um, and so those two correlate really well. Um, but my, my wife and I were able to uh, adopt our son Lucas from China. Um, we never thought we would adopt from China, not because of anything other than that wasn't our path. We started in Ethiopia and then we were in Honduras and it just never really came up. Um, and so if you if you kind of fast forward that, you know, as far as the what did that journey mean, like, I think it's incredible that I can tell my son, Lucas, we, we adopted him when he was three years old. Uh, he's seven now, is that before you were even born, God knew that you were going to be in our family. Like we started the process before you were even born. And to know that even though he may feel abandoned that sometimes that God didn't abandon him and had a plan for him in his life. You know, I'm wondering, does he understand what you're doing? Does he understand daddy's racing and he's watching the Daytona 500? He, does he feel it like you, like I would imagine he does? Yes. Yeah, he does. He is fully Americanized. I can promise you that. Um, <laughs> he, he uh, you know, he's such a, uh, you know, a part of our family and, and he understands, he, you know, he's been to the racetrack and grew up around it as well. And um, yeah, it was a transition for him, no doubt, you know, but now that he's been with us and, and is older, um, it's really, it's just awesome to see, like, it's hard to explain because unless you see it, you just don't know. But here was this scared little kid that came into our family that didn't really know, like, who are these people? And now he is fully emerged in our family, right? And with his brothers and his sisters and, and my wife and I. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible process, an incredible journey. I just can't believe it. Just, just got to thank God. Uh, so many years just grinding it out, hoping for an opportunity like this. Got to thank Love's Travel Stop. Uh, Speedco, uh, Bob Jenkins for giving me this opportunity. Uh, I'm so thankful. Such a great uh, way to get a first victory. Daytona 500, are you kidding me? You know, you're not the dark horse anymore, Michael. Everybody now knows who you are, and I'm sure the other NASCAR drivers understand who you are. They understand that you take no prisoners. You got that attitude that you're going to be pushing and pushing and pushing. How has your life changed in the last two weeks after winning the Daytona 500? Yeah, it's been busier. Um, you know, it's there's been a lot of great opportunities just to, you know, to share our story as a team and as a family and uh, just the journey that it's been. And, you know, the peripheral things, you know, might change, you know, sponsorship and, you know, just those types of things. But sort of the core of it, you know, I just feel so thankful and so grateful that I got to actually see it through that you know that all those years of kind of grinding it out paid off at the same time i wouldn't change the journey for anything and you know had it happened in that first year i don't know if i'd be able to handle it i don't know if i would you know be on the same path that i'm on with my family and my life and um and so yeah even though it didn't all really play out how i thought it would i'm so thankful for the process so you are a hundred to one odds to win the Daytona. You win the Daytona. Now that you're a virtual lock for the playoffs, what would it mean to win a cup championship? Yeah, I, I don't know what the, <laughs> if I'd even give myself the odds, but um, it, would, it would be greater than a hundred to one. But I'll say that with this caveat, as good as we've ran the last two weeks, it's not entirely impossible. And um, if we can keep this up and and figure out, you know, how to keep this momentum and how to continue to bring race cars like we have right now, it's possible. Um, you know, and, and that's pretty neat just to be able to say that because I wouldn't have said that 
a year ago that it was even possible and, and it is possible. Well, you know what? Possibilities lead, hopefully, uh, to championships. And who knows? Who would have thought Daytona would have been yours? But it is. Our thanks to Michael McDowell for joining us today and to all of you for watching. I'm Boomer Science, and I'll see you again very soon right here on Game Time with NFL Players Association President J.C. Treader of the Cleveland Browns. The city of Cleveland deserves um, the success that we had this year and more, and, and they've been through, as everybody knows, a lot of a lot of down years, a lot of tough years. It was, you know, palpable to feel the excitement of the city, getting back to winning football, and getting back to the playoffs and having success.